We're doing a series on Emmanuel, um, a series of three. Last week, Pastor Tim gave us his take on Emmanuel. This morning, I'm doing my take on Emmanuel, and this is not to detract from the baptism, in fact, because I think some of what I'm going to say is very relevant if you've just been baptised. It's relevant if you haven't been baptised, and it's relevant if it's a time when you think, hmm, how are we doing spiritually? Um, We've heard these folks, young and older, um, reflection, good time for reflection. And then next week, Pastor John will do his take on Emmanuel. So you have to put up with mine, you'll get the proper stuff next week when Pastor John comes. So you've got to come back next week. Okay. Um, So yeah, Pastor Tim last week talked about the fact that Emmanuel means God with us, and yes, he's still with us this week. So that's good news. Um, And uh, let's think for a few minutes about what that can tell us. I've lost the little gizmo. It's in my pocket here somewhere. Here we go. Now, Emmanuel means, what does Emmanuel mean? Well, we're going to read that passage from Isaiah in a minute. But as a summary, this name Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't appear very much in the Bible. We make a big thing of it because it means God with us. But it comes back to Isaiah chapter 7 where things were not going too well for the people of God. They were under threat and their king was a guy called Ahaz. And Isaiah the prophet came along and said to them some things from God and he prophesied that somebody was going to be born called Emmanuel. Um, Anybody know that nice red keep calm and carry on with the crown? Anybody know where that comes from? It's in every gift shop. I know. It's in every gift shop you could imagine. Anybody know where it comes from? Ah! Yes. The crown gives it away. God's own country, England. Yeah. Back in the Second World War. So we're around about 1939, the Second World War began. I wasn't around then. Some of you were. Most, many of us were not. But back in the Second World War, it was tough. And some civil servant somewhere um, came up with that. And that poster was distributed. It was on stations. You probably have it in your home, offices, everywhere. Okay, there's a threat here. It's a real threat. Some of you are not going to make it. But as far as you can, keep calm and carry on. You know, that was God's message to Ahaz. Let me read it. Um, Ahaz is the king of Judah. This is about 700 years before Jesus came. And he hears that there's people plotting to come and invade the land. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, because Isaiah was a prophet. A prophet in the Old Testament was a sort of guy who come along and said, God is saying this to you. I believe God is saying this. You need to do this. God will encourage you. God will challenge you. God will inspire you. God will correct you. But this is what he's saying. So Isaiah is like a mouthpiece for God. And the people are under threat. And so Isaiah, the prophet... The Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, that was his first son, we think, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the laundress field. Doesn't matter, he's saying, go get Ahab, Ahaz. But say to him this, and this is where that, that red poster comes in, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart, 
because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remalia. They were the guys who were going to invade the land. Aram, Ephraim and Remalia's son, they plotted your ruin, they've plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade, let's tear it apart, divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. So it was a real threat. Yet, and here we get the bit from God, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Let me repeat that, we're going to come back to that. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And the Lord said to Ahaz, through Isaiah, Ask the Lord your God for a sign that it's going to be okay, whether in the deepest depths. But Ahab said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. But Isaiah basically said, okay, he's going to give you a sign anywhere, anyway. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, are you just trying the patience of human? Will you also try the patience of God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. We're getting there. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin or a young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him... Emmanuel. Yeah, Emmanuel. So the answer to that threat was Emmanuel. We don't need to go into all the details, but this guy, Isaiah, we believe, it's not in the scripture, that he had a second wife, she had a son. Was she a virgin? Probably not. She was a young woman, the same word can meet that, but we'll come back to that in a minute. She had a son called Emmanuel. And it's as if God is saying, you see that boy, that's the sign that it's okay. That's the sign that that threat is going to be removed and I'm with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Protection. There is safety available. And the fact that this birth is going to happen shows that my good faith in this, that you can trust in this, God is saying. Now, prophecies often have more than one meaning. They have the immediate meaning time, space, there and then, in the 700s BC. Something was going to happen. But they have another meaning as well. And that's the one that we find in Matthew. Rescue, but of a different type. And let me read you a bit from Matthew chapter 1. This is familiar, particularly at this time of year. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was planned to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the law, we've already heard that there's angels around here and they were here coming to this story. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, 
Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So Matthew lifts this verse from Isaiah and applies it. There's another Emmanuel. But hang on, Emmanuel's tied up with threat, with people being in danger. Oh yes. The new Emmanuel, Jesus, is tied up with people being under threat, with things going wrong. The threat may not be a physical invasion, but it's the invasion of sin, which sadly has invaded all of us, whether we like it or not. That's a threat. Sin is terminal. It leads to death, not just physical death. We'll come back to that later on. So Matthew lifts this verse and applies it to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. So it wasn't a political enemy, but a more spiritual, a very real, but spiritual enemy. So let's just for a moment ponder God with us. God with us. People sometimes say, do I have to believe in the virgin birth? That Jesus was born... Uh, from a virgin mother and uh, the Holy Spirit? Or was it just a way of saying, well, you know, Joseph was the husband, so he was the father? Uh Uh-uh. If you believe that Jesus is God, you have to believe in the virgin birth, I believe. Because if Jesus had a human mother and a human father, he's born into sin with a sinful nature like all of us. Nothing special if you're born with a human father and a human mother. Yes, he had a human mother, but he had a superhuman, a godless, divine, a godly, divine father. The Holy Spirit came upon her. Yes, she was a virgin, and that's quite clear. And you cannot, you cannot move out on this belief in the virgin birth if you're going to believe that Jesus is God the Son. If you say, well, Jesus wasn't really God, Sorry, that's your salvation gone down the drain. If Jesus wasn't God, let's pack up. All this was meaningless. All this is meaningless if Jesus is not God. And I think one of the songs that we sang, Oh, come and you faithful, there's a verse, I don't think we sang it. Um, Begotten, not created. God of gods, light of light. Um, It goes on. God of gods, light of light. Begotten, not created. Jesus was not created. He is God himself in human form. So when we talk about Emmanuel, we are talking about God, not just a prophet, not just a pastor, not just a priest, not just a person. We are talking about God the Son with us. Secondly, he's with us. He is not an absent God. He is an ever-present God around us and as Christians within us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There is only one man that God has ever forsaken, and that's called a man called Jesus when he was on the cross. Nobody else has been fully, totally forsaken by God than Jesus. And the Father, I don't understand this, the Trinity, what was going on on the cross. I don't understand it, but in some way Father had to turn away because Jesus took our sin. And how can God look on sin? But how could Jesus do that? It, 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 we can't understand it. That's why we receive it by faith. He is with us and he will never leave us. And it's us. It's not just the other person. It's not just the superheroes. It's not just the super Christians. He is with each one of us. Who, me? Yes, me. Yes, you. He is with each one of us. So the question is not so much 
Emmanuel is God with us. But are we with him? That's where we bring in our eight sermons this morning. And that's the question I want us all to go away asking ourselves. To what extent are we with him? He's with us. Are we with him? Now, one of the things that we're doing in this little series is giving a sort of personal take on Emmanuel. Uh, and this will be different for anybody who does it. But there's a few things that, that I like, that I believe in. There are a few things that have got something to do with me that I want to just mention, that are linked with Emmanuel. You might not immediately become obvious why. And way things that challenge me and inspire me and encourage me and have been a help to me. Okay. Who are they? The what? Sorry? Runners up in the World Cup. Um, nearly. No, that was Croatia. Third place. Now that is the England soccer team. Well, it's nine of them anyway. It looks to me, they're all looking in the same direction. And there's, there's um, yeah, something, I think there's, somebody's probably scored a penalty goal. I don't know where the goalie is because he's not in that photo. But somebody, it looks like something good has happened. That's the England soccer team. That's their new strip, red strip. Um, and uh, if you get a chance to watch them, they played the United States a few weeks ago in Wembley, yes, England versus the USA in Wembley, which is in England. It's just down the road from where I used to live, so watching that was rather weird for me. Guess who won? <laughs> it wasn't the United States. Sorry. Now, what? <laughs> what on earth has that got to do with Emmanuel? Well, the question is there at the top. You go to a big stadium to watch a soccer match, or if you've got to watch some other football, that's up to you, I don't know why. But, you know. Um, or baseball, or basketball, or whatever it is. You have a big stadium, and you've got two groups of people. There they are, the spectators and the players. Have you ever noticed that the real experts who know exactly how to do the game are the spectators? <laughs> If you spectate at something, you know far better than the players on the field. What on earth did he do that for? You should have done that. And, and, and the ref, the referee, you know much better than the umpire or the referee or whoever it is who's regulating things. The spectators always know best. Um, are you an Emmanuel team player or spectator? We've just heard this morning eight people who have said, I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I want to be a player. Might not be their words, but in effect, that's what you say when you get baptised. I'm tired of sitting on the benches watching. I want to jump down and get involved with the game. Being a Christian is not a game, but it does involve the whole person. Are you a spectator or a player? And I'm not just talking about, oh, we want you to do a job in the church. Although we may do, there's plenty of things that need doing. I'm talking about your whole life, tomorrow morning. We're not just talking about church life corporately. We're talking about your daily life, my daily life. What am I going to be like tomorrow morning, the day after, and the day after that? Am I going to revert to being a spectator Monday to Saturday and just try to be a player on a Sunday? 
or am I going to leave my, give my whole life to this? It's a challenge. Spectator or player? You see, it's not just about church. I remember somebody in my church in the UK once said to me, oh, it was a couple, and the, the guy, the, the husband said, oh, well, my wife's the spiritual one. I, I leave that sort of thing to her. Really? Why? I seem to remember there was a guy called Emmanuel who came and taught people. He healed people. He forgave people. He suffered. He died. He rose again. And you're going to leave all that to your wife. What's going on, chum? Why are you sitting on the sidelines? You need to get on the pitch and be head of the family. Not just abdicate. And God does not want us to abdicate. He wants us to be involved and committed to him. I'm not just talking about church life, but it involves that. I'm talking about our daily lives, wherever we are. Other people sometimes may say another so-called soccer player, you know, oh, well, I've got a soccer match, I've got a soccer ball, and I kick it around the yard, and I've got a little goal, and I try and shoot, and I've got an England shirt and the whole... Strip, oh yeah, I'm really going to bounce it on my head. You know, all, all that they do in soccer. I'm a soccer man. Really? What team do you belong to? Oh, I don't belong to a team. No, 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 that's, that's too much hassle. I don't know all hypocrites. You can see where I'm going on this, can't you? Um, you know, I can do it on my own. I'm really good at this. And, and I've got all these books, all these videos. I watch the videos and listen to them and I read books about soccer. Oh, I'm, really fan. I'm a real fan of soccer. No, you're not. You're not a player, you're a spectator. Don't kid yourself. Same is true of being Christian. Oh, I don't need the church. I'm all right on my own. I, look, I'm quite skillful. I can pray. I can watch these videos. Uh-uh. You're missing something. The, corporate, the nature of church is corporate. The nature of church is corporate. It's not individual. We have an individual faith, but we come together and serve together. Are you a player or a spectator? Jesus did not ask for commentators, advisors, or spectators He asked for followers. Jesus did not sit on the sidelines and watch and comment. He got on the pitch. When we were in England last summer, we went with our family, and uh, my son Martin somehow managed to get three tickets for an Arsenal match. And uh, so that was me, my son, and my grandson, Paxton, who was five. And I like watching soccer. I am not a soccer player. I'm not an expert on soccer. But I like watching it. It's relaxing, particularly if it's British, because that's the best. Um, uh, And you can get it on NBC with Roku, which is what I do. Um, And we were in this stadium, the Emirates Stadium in North London. That's not the team I support. The team I support, by the way, is Crystal Palace. Um, They're not so doing too well at the moment, so they need prayer. Um, (laughs) We're in this big stadium, and the noise of thousands and thousands of people, and the language of thousands and thousands. I don't know, we, we, we sort of put some, we should have had some head muffs, ear muffs for our, son, our grandson, but you just sort of, what do you do? And they're scathing. If their team is doing fine, they'll be cheering. But even if their own team makes a mistake, they let them have it. And they're scathing. We would never criticise people in the church, would we? No. But just remember, don't be like the soccer spectators. The language is appalling. What comes out of their mouths is some, for some, not all, some, you can hear it all around you. 
fact, you occasionally hear it on the television. Somebody says a, a nasty word a bit too near the microphone, and sometimes commentators will say, we apologize if you heard some colorful language there. <laughs> What's our language like as Christians towards others? Hmm, something to think about. Something else I like doing. There's some people playing chess. Now, when we go to our sons and daughter-in-laws and grandkids' place, they have a, in one corner, they got a chess set on a table. And usually, sometime through the day, Martin, my son, will say, Dad, chess? And occasionally, little Paxton, who's now six, will say, Grandad, can we play chess? Or Sophie, who's eight, nearly eight, will say, Grandad, can we play chess? Or Lucy, who's 11, Grandad, how about a game of chess? And I enjoy playing chess. I'm no good at it. But the reason I'm using this as an example, it's a bad example because in chess you've got two opposing teams and the idea is to annihilate your opposition. And the, the, the illustration I was trying to bring out of this is not that, but it's when somebody says, it's your move. I've taken an initiative. What are you going to do? And that's the question I want to ask us this morning. God has taken an initiative. Emmanuel, your move? What's your response? And in a game of chess, you can't say, oh, I don't need... You've got to have a response, otherwise you lose the game. God's saying, it's your move. What's next? We've seen eight people make a move this morning. What move does God want you to take? Maybe it's to jump in the baptistry in a few weeks' time. Who knows? The other thing about chess, of course, is the idea is to get the king. To use that analogy... Our king was taken and annihilated. He was killed. There was an opposition. There was a battle. And our king lost in one sense. But he didn't lose. He thought, the enemy thought they'd got him. Ah, checkmate. We got him now. He's taken sin upon himself. Yes! And yes, he died. He bore our sin. That's what it's all about. That's Emmanuel. But... As the language of C.S. Lewis, I think, and the line the witch on the wardrobe would say, there's deeper magic than that. Chess runs on laws, moves. You do this, you do that. That piece can go there, that piece can go there, that piece goes there. Life, the universe, runs on rules. One rule is that sin leads to death, separation from God. And that's what Jesus took. The other rule says you can't kill God. So Jesus died, but he rose again. And I remember sharing this at communion a couple of weeks ago. It was impossible for death to hold him. Impossible, couldn't happen. But he did die, but he rose again. Wow, that's good stuff. So remember that next time you play chess. Now the third is an illustration which I have used before, but I like it, and it bears repetition. Some of you might not like it. I don't know if you remember that illustration. Um, oh, one, two people nodding. Now, this is an illustration, it's an analogy, it's symbolism, it's metaphor. I am not giving you permission to drink beer. It is not mine to give you that permission. That's up to you and God. I drink beer now and again. <gasps> Next time you do, we're playing chess. Okay. <laughs> So, let's be quite clear. This is, this is an illustration. It is not literal, okay? Whether you drink beer or not is up between you and God. 
Don't try to tell me the Bible says you, doesn't, you can't drink alcohol. It's not there, okay? Um, what was the first sign Jesus did? It involved alcohol. Anyway, he turned water into wine. Well, that's, that's sort of sidebar. Let's get back to what I'm trying to do here. A night, there you see that beer. And look at it. Most of it is that amber-colored liquid. If it's cold, oh, lovely. Not too much. By the way, the Bible is quite clear about getting drunk. And if you think, well, it's Christmas, the office party, or home, uh, now and again, doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does matter. The Bible is quite clear in many places, getting drunk is not glorifying to God. So if you have a problem with that, don't blame me, sort it out with God. But do sort it out. If you're going to be a player, that might be one thing that needs to change in some of us. I don't know. Now, this beer, it's mainly that liquid stuff that tastes nice, but it's got a nice froth, a head, the bubbles, the bubbly bit on top. And that's good. Now, what's that got to do with Emmanuel? Well, most of what we do at Christmas is like froth, because froth is just nearly all air and gas, well, gas that's come out of the beer. There's not a lot of substance to it. And if all you had was a glass of froth, you'd send it back and say, no, this is no good. I want some proper stuff. Don't exist on spiritual froth. When we sing hallelujah, yeah, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, like we did this morning, that's froth. But it's good froth because of where it comes from. Where's it come from? It comes from the beer. So what's the beer? And this is what I want to just, as we move towards the close, to, to think on for a moment. What is the beer of being a Christian? The froth is the celebration and the singing songs that some people say, well, that's a bit banal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Ah, oh, don't give me that. I'm only singing that because a man died on a cross. If he hadn't done that, if there was no Emmanuel, we wouldn't be singing that. So that froth arises from the good stuff, the truth. And it's healthy and it's good. But if it's all froth, and our culture today is frothy, and we've deleted Jesus from Christmas, so it's not Christmas, it's a winter holiday. What are we celebrating? Um, the holiday? Um, winter? Nothing. It's meaningless froth because it comes from nothing. The real celebration of Emmanuel is meaningful froth because it comes from truth and history and God heaven himself. So, the beer is the truth of the gospel. The beer is God is with us and Jesus has come to sacrifice his life for sin. He came to die. He rose again. In him, I will rise again. In him, there is forgiveness. In him, there is reconciliation. In him, there is life. Now, you need that, I need that, all the time of our lives. We particularly need that reassurance if we go through times of trouble. And when I find this most helpful, it's when I go through times of trouble or loss or tragedy, which I have done, and so have many of you. You need good beer to live as a Christian. Good beer. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. Why he came. It's the truth behind Emmanuel. How much of your life is beer and how much is froth? You know how serious your life is with Jesus. But death has been put to death. Death has been put to death. Jesus has achieved it. That's the beer that we drink that sustains us. Now, as we 
close, move towards a close, let's go back to Isaiah. Two things from Isaiah that I want to emphasize. Okay? Life throws all sorts of rubbish at us. It will do in your life. For those of you who've just been baptized, what happened to Jesus? What's the next thing we hear about Jesus after he was baptized? Sorry? Temptation. Temptation. Now, when some people get baptized, it's a fantastic emotional experience. Yeah, fantastic. Whoa, froth, froth, froth. But it's based on truth, so it's good and it's healthy. Other people, it's, oh, well, okay, that was good. Where's the towel? Let's get dry. I did it because I wanted to be obedient. Well, there's an emotion attached to your baptism. Baptism doesn't make it real or not. It's real because you did it. If you feel great, fantastic. If you just think, right, okay, ooh, a bit cold, let's get dry, that's fine. You have taken a step of obedience. But people often find when they are baptized, next on the list is temptation. Something difficult happens. So when you've been baptized, particularly those of you who have been baptized this morning, don't be surprised if you go through a difficult time. It might be outward circumstances, it might be questions and doubts in your mind, whatever it is, Remember, Jesus went through temptation soon after he was baptized. So you may go through a time of testing. Talk to somebody about it if they can encourage and pray with you. There's no shortcut. Jesus didn't take a shortcut, he went through it. And because of who he was, he was successful. He quoted scripture to every temptation. That doesn't mean you have to know all the Bible, but it means what you find in this truth, this book is truth, it's life-giving, it's beer, Or to put it another way, it's like the living water that Jesus talks about that wells up within us. So if you don't like the beer thing, change it to living water because that's biblical, so it must be okay. The well of living water that wells up, it's like a spring, bubbling, gurgling, gurgling. Because there's life. We've heard about this life. There is true life in Jesus. Now, I want to read out a couple of lines that underline this from you know at Christmas you get newsletters from all your friends that you don't see the rest of the year you get the sort of the family newsletter we got this from uh, a couple uh, he's a retired pastor that we knew back in England they're, they're Scottish actually but that's okay just about um, and uh, this was at the end of their Christmas newsletter I don't know about you but at the end of our Christmas newsletter we always put a sort of a spiritual bit because it goes to non-Christians as well as Christians and we try to put something that someone perhaps can latch onto whether they're a Christian or not but this is what they did this, this retired pastor there is so much need and brokenness in our world our nation and in our communities God is clear about how we are then to live and this is a paraphrase from Micah. It's a lovely verse, but it's paraphrased, which means it's interpreted, it's not a literal translation, it's trying to get at the meaning, but perhaps using different words. This is Micah 6. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Take God seriously. The challenge to love God with all that we are and have and to love our neighbour comes to us with this model of the life and self-giving of the Lord Jesus and the promise of the power and love of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Emmanuel. And I thought, oh, I've got to use this. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God with us, 
is enough. And that's what nearly towards the end I want to leave with us. Do not lose heart. Be careful. Keep calm. Particularly those of you who have been baptised. Don't be afraid. Things may go tough. And whatever go thing, whatever our circumstances are, we go through tough times. Be careful, keep calm. God is with you. It doesn't mean you'll, he will automatically, immediately remove the trouble from you, but you've got somebody with you. And then that second one. If you don't stand firm, you won't stand at all. If you just want to be a lone Christian, bouncing the ball up on your knee and heading it, and, and think, oh, I'm all right on my own, you're not. You're easy pickings. Easy pickings. There's still someone around who's out to get you. And part of the strength and protection is when we are together corporately because that's how God's designed us to be. And when you've been baptised, you've got to stay... It's a, it's a declaration that I am standing firm in my faith, that I believe this stuff. It's not just religion. It's not just for them. It's for me. Jesus is for me. If you don't stand firm, you won't stand at all. And that's increasingly evident in this world with increasing godlessness and crime and terrorism and, and moral, a moral sea of anything. So I've forgotten who it was who said, if you don't believe anything, if you don't believe anything, you believe everything. And in this day and age, anything and everything is being believed. But we have a certain set of belief and our certain set of beliefs are not just what we think is politically correct at the moment, it's not just how we have to discern the pressure to be, it's what is written in the Bible, and that's getting harder and harder to stick to. But so this is an encouragement to stand firm, because sometimes we need to when there's an attack. So, to me, this really is the end, my one line on Emmanuel is a living hope. Now, if I remember rightly, that is more or less the conclusion that Pastor Tim came to last week. Hope figures highly in Emmanuel, because God with us means we have hope. And that's why the power of sin is dealt with. You see, when you get baptised, you go down under the water. What's that symbolise? Death. Have we lost one yet? No. Up you come again. And that symbolises new life, resurrection. You have died to death. You cannot die. Yes, physically you can, but you cannot die in terms of spiritual death because Jesus has done that for you. That is the living hope that we have in times of trouble. And if you have tragedy and loss and pain in your life, you and I need to know that and grasp onto that, that this life is not the end, that there is something else. And it's not a hope which is, well, I hope I pass my exams, I hope I get better, I hope this test proves positive, I hope I get this new job. It's a, it doesn't depend on what may or may not happen in the future, it depends on what has already happened in the past, and nothing can change that. And what happened in the past is that Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he's coming back again, and we will see him. Amen. That's the beer, that's the living water, that's Emmanuel with us, life forever. Let's pray. Lord, it's so good at Christmas to celebrate your coming. We don't want to get lost in all the trimmings and forget who you are. But we want to thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that you bring salvation, you bring life, you bring hope. You bring certainty in a very uncertain world. Help us this year, Lord, 
to stand firm in our faith. Pray particularly, Lord, for those of us who have just been baptized. Thank you for bringing us to that point. And I pray, Lord, for each one of those eight folks that as perhaps they will have a difficult time in the next week or two, I really don't know. But if things get tough, Lord, may they just hold on to you and know your strength. Protect them, guide them, calm them, comfort them, so that they can just get through difficult times with you. Lord, I pray for each, all of us. It's a time when some of us have looked back to our own baptism. It's a time when some of us are thinking, well, I've never done that. Oh, it doesn't matter. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying about that, because it does matter. Lord, help us each to know what our next move is. And now, Lord, be with us for the rest of this day. We thank you for it. Thank you for your presence and your goodness. We commend one another to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, two things. I'd like to ask the eight, the other eight sermons, if they could come and array themselves here. Up you come, please, all eight of you. And when you get up, yeah, give them a round of applause. Whoa! And now I want everybody else to come and form a line and greet them. You're dismissed.